Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the KJ Show. The KJ Show with host Dr. Katherine Johnson is a mix of breaking news and practical advice on many ways in which the energy industry can affect you and your family. Catherine will combine energy updates and conversations with leaders in the energy efficiency community. So please welcome your host, Dr. KJ. Hello and welcome to the KJ Show. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host on the Bold Brave TV network. And today I'm going to talk about something that's very newsworthy. Is it the Climate COP, um, the Conference of Partners big meeting in Dubai? Or is it just basically a climate change cop out? And I think by the end of the show, you'll probably have a pretty good idea of where I'm going. Also, it's really interesting. This particular show has the height of irony. Some of the stuff that you just can't believe. So... I'm going to talk a little bit about the COP28 conference and some of the debating points, like should we get rid of fossil fuels? But I always like to start with the fun stuff um, in terms of breaking news. You can't make this stuff up. And guess what? There was a Kamala Harris, our vice president, tweeted this on her Thanksgiving day. She said, um, you want to put the picture up? She said, basically, happy Thanksgiving from our family to yours. Happy Thanksgiving. The problem is she has a gas stove. It's a very expensive gas stove from what I can see. And isn't that kind of gas stoves that the Biden administration wants to ban? So Ted Cruz and some other conservatives immediately pointed out this um, hypocrisy. And basically one of the tweets said, Senator GOP staffer said, gas stoves for me, but not for thee which is sort of the way it goes with this um, Democratic administration, right? Um, we can't have gas stoves, heaven forbid. Restaurants can't. But the vice president can, especially to make that delicious-looking casserole. Thanks. Um, and this kind of falls into the theory of the same sort of stories that I put together this whole week where I kept finding all of this ironic um, or hypocrisy. I can't really tell if it's irony or hypocrisy. It's probably a little bit of both. But apparently, the world's richest 1%, not surprising, emit more than twice as much carbon as two-thirds of the rest of the planet. So we got the one percenters who emit much, much, as much pollution as uh, six, four billion people. According to an analysis by Oxfam International, the richest 
is responsible for the same amount of carbon emissions as the world's poorest two-thirds or, sorry, five billion people. Boy, those rich people really know how to live, huh? They, um, they're the ones who are also lecturing us about climate change while they fly around on their private jets. And never mind, they're not cutting back on meat either. Um, this is not everyone is equally responsible, so therefore now the folks running the show thinking that maybe we need to tax the rich more. Um, I think they got uh, some folks in public trouble a few centuries ago. The richer you are, the easier it is to cut your footprint. Yeah, you don't need five houses and personal jets and things, but if you're that rich, why not, right? So climate equality uh, report because a planet for the 99% was based on research from the Stockholm Environmental Institute and estimated the consumption emissions from the two different income groups. It was published as the world leaders prepared to meet COP28 in Dubai, and the fears are, and this is becoming a real concern apparently, that the world is going to go globally warm to 1.5 degrees Celsius. It doesn't seem like we're going to be able to stop it. Okay, guess what? The world has warmed 1.5 degrees Celsius in the past, and we all survived. And so this artificial warning that they put up, we got to stop the warning of warming of 1.5 Celsius has really kind of been a ruse. And it's going to happen regardless of what we do. And apparently nothing we're doing is working. Uh, the key findings also said that uh, the 1% of responsible, about 77 million people, are responsible for 16% of global emissions related to their consumption. In France, the richest person, the one who found, gentleman who founded uh, Louis Vuitton has a carbon footprint of 16, 1270 times greater than the average Frenchman. Now, even though I don't quite believe in carbon footprints, this is a really marked contrast. So the average Frenchman, and then you got this guy who's heaven knows what he's doing, but he's obviously spending a lot of time emitting carbon. And now the other thing that's really scary is now they're saying, well, we just need to tax them more. So, uh, the report focused on that carbon linked only to individual consumption. The personal consumption of the super rich is dwarfed by the emissions resulting from other investments in companies. So they want them to divest of their invest, uh, investments in, say, cement. And they also want to start having a higher tax on non-green investments. This is socialism in a muck. Um, and keeping in this theme, which is always an interesting one, I found multiple stories. Now, I've reported on this before, but I've now found multiple stories where trees are being cut down to make way for carbon-friendly uh, environmental projects, which, again, seems to just boggle the mind. Why in the world are we cutting down trees? More than a 1,000 trees in Miami, vital to their environment, were cut down without any hint of carbon uh, community impact or input, the Miami Freedom Park ownership in the city of Miami struck a deal that paved the way for removing a thousand trees without any public comment. The incinerator that formerly operated the golf course left considerable amount of heavy metal contaminants, and so the developers said, well, hey, we have a 99-year lease, we'll just cut down a bunch of trees and do our own thing. Not going to clean up, not going to mitigate it, just going to cut down trees. The same thing happened in Australia, which is certainly more environmentally friendly than other places. Um, so uh, what happened was in Australia, um, at a university, there was an uproar because gum trees were cleared to make way for green energy. Uh, a new 4,300 solar p 
panel farm is being built at an Australian university, um, and it has controversially flattened 3.8 hectares, which is four, about four acres. The mature trees were cut down during the breeding season for very rare endangered birds, which caused all kinds of consternation. And as one um, observer said, this is crazy logic. Something seems off here. Another mused, one question is why weren't solar parks put up somewhere else? And the issue is it made head, headwinds and made so much controversy that Apple pulled out of the project. So this is interesting. Um, we have a lot of interesting stories to cover. I'm Catherine Johnson, Dr. Catherine Johnson, your host on the Ball Brave TV Network. Um, you're watching The KJ Show, and I'll be right back. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick, Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to EasySense.com and learn how, with your help, we can fight these horrific brain disorders. That's EasySense.com to learn more and help support the Broderick Foundation. Author, radio show host, and coach John M. Hawkins reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Poached to Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth, published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Hello, and welcome back to the Bold Brave TV Network. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host of the KJ Show. And today I'm talking about is it climate change or climate cop-out or it seems kind of really weird. So the Conference of Partners, which is basically the name for the UN group that gathers 70,000 delegates to come and discuss the climate issues every year. Um, this year, ironically, they're going to be holding these talks on how to mitigate climate change in Dubai at the world's largest fossil fuel producer in the world and they're going to be talking oh sure sincerely about ways to cut down on fossil fuel usage uh, i don't think so um and actually the fact that it was being hosted in dubai was a source of controversy gee i wonder um you know maybe you should have it in one of those little islands in sweden where there's renewable self-renewable or one of the little islands off the coast of korea where you know but dubai one run by an oil shake? I don't think so. So anyway, so the UAE is meeting 
earnestly to talk about how um, they're going to reduce the dependence on foreign, foreign oil. Uh-huh. And the fact that the largest oil producer is hosting it was sort of a, drew a lot of outrage for only 70,000 delegates. Not that that stopped them from coming, and by the way, in their private jets. So um, the other problem that they have with having it in Dubai is that Dubai is also right in the center of the shipping lanes that deliver a lot of the oil to the rest of the world. And also Dubai is not exactly independent. It needs us, it needs Western food and water and crops. So, you know, Dubai basically has oil, but it doesn't have much else. And the city that it's built on all that sand is subject to erosion. So it's sort of a very tenuous existence for them. Uh, the region is short on water and food. Um, the other thing that problem is that there's all these different technical, political and procedural goals that have to be resolved. Um, three of the major issues that they're trying to tackle in this conference is uh, cracking down on methane emissions, a byproduct of fossil fuels, an overlooked greenhouse gas, by the way, massive shortfalls in the amount of funding we need to actually get to this net zero goal. And I'll have some graphs to show that. And then there's a battle over what exactly is ending the use of fossil fuels because there's some legalistic going on. Well, we can say we're going to end our dependence on fossil fuels, but we didn't mean it that way. They're arguing again over what the definition of unabated is. Kind of like a uh, former president arguing over what the definition of is is. So, um, and ironically, no one is really cutting back on their consumption of fossil fuels, all while they meet to discuss the worrying notice that, hey, the climate is in, temperature is getting hotter. Oh, yeah, yeah. So one of the heads of an environmental group insists that methane is a big deal. It's a greenhouse gas emission. It also, unfortunately, is a byproduct of cows, one of the reasons they don't like cows and sheep. But it's a main component also of natural gas. Tackling, so tackling emissions will have a significant impact. Sure. Right. But how are they going to do that? The answer is they don't really know. And they said that there's a consortium leading it, but the rumors are suggesting that the national oil companies or NOCs um, aren't really buying into this. And they really don't think that it's just maybe lipless service, so they're not really serious about eliminating methane. The other issue is that funding is still a major stumbling block. Um, I have uh, prospects of climate finance are even gloomier because basically they're falling short of these goals. A couple of shows I've been talking about how much money it takes to actually fund this green, blue, uh, green, you know, green, blue uh, revolution. And it's trillions of dollars. Well, if you see the chart I have put up, um, basically look at this. The investment is, they think, in trillions of dollars a year. But who's making the investments? Well, they're some energy efficiency. Yay, that's good investments. Some low emissions power. Grid energy and storage isn't making very much, and the rest of the world is hardly making any investment in any of these things, even by in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And look, China. China is basically not making any investments either. But look how much money it's going to take and how much money is not being used. So thanks for the chart. So the point is that the, the amount of money that's needed to put in uh, to actually enact all of these policies are trillions and trillions of dollars. And they're saying, well, that money isn't going to come from the public sector. It's going to come from the private sector. What? That's us, guys. 
where why are we funding it uh, another um another group environmental group leader said the 100 billions is the tip of the iceberg in terms of the trillions of dollars needed annually to meet these goals well if something is taking trillions of dollars to meet the goals maybe it's too expensive for us to do it does anyone ever think of that i wonder um, and then uh, another financial data firm insists that the trillions of dollars will not come from the public sector, and rumors suggest that maybe the UA wants to start being an investment partner in this. Oh, that'll be interesting. Um, and then the last thing is, is phasing over of fossil fuels. You can put this chart up. Um, there's a lot of issues and a lot of concern because although everybody talks about how they're not really gonna, they're gonna start reducing their demand for fossil fuels, the actuality says no. Um, so look if the, the little blue squiggly line is the actual demand. And if you see they have these projections, these dramatic, you know, the big dramatic announced goals, net zero goals, but they're so far below what the actual demand is. And in fact, a lot of the countries don't want to actually say and sign off and say, we're going to stop using fossil fuels which is why there's this whole debate over, well, what is the definition of a fossil fuel? And can we still use a fossil fuel even though we said we aren't going to use a fossil fuel? So they're, what they're actually doing versus what they're claiming to do or projecting to do are so far off, it doesn't even make sense. Thanks for the chart. So the deal has hard reach because the legitimate climate ambitions of a rapid end to this fossil fuel runs into the legitimate reality that we need fossil fuels. Uh, one another observer says, you can wish fossil fuels away, but they're still going to comprise 80% of the world energy supply, and that's growing. Um, even in a scenario of zero emissions, envisions the amount of fossil fuels needed in 2025 is going to be a little lower, but we're still going to need it. So there is no future in getting rid of fossil fuels. In fact, a lot of countries, and I was doing research on this, Actually, you're sort of saying, well, yeah, we'll sign a pledge. We'll say, oh, no, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels eventually in the future, but not right now because we need it. And some of the developing nations are saying, hey, it's not fair for us to have to cut back on our fossil fuel usage. We're finally at a point where we can use it. Why are the big Western companies telling us not? They call it green colonialism. So the point is that they have these lofty goals out there in Dubai, and they have a lot of ambition but it may not be enough. And it's just gonna be another expensive debate that probably won't lead anywhere. Uh, but I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host of Old Brave TV Network. You're watching The KJ Show, and I'll be right back. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality? But it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating. Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them. Often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening, uh, like a, a flow inside. Yeah, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com. Or call 416-529-7429. Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network. Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical. 
Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent, but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults, Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationships, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of The Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, hope, and support for caregivers is here on The Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. And welcome back to the KJ Show. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host on the Bold Brave TV Network. Today I'm talking about, is it Climate Cop 28 or is it just a climate cop-out? Um, I have a feeling it's probably closer to a cop-out. Um, but the Cop 28 is an admirable goal. They're having all these people get together to discuss about ways to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and to save the Earth from warming one to 1, 1.5 Celsius degrees. Um, however, it's not necessarily based in science. And a lot of these technologies that we've been talking about on this show for the last 67 episodes or so show that we really aren't really ready for this kind of dramatic shift in our economy, a fundamental shift in the way in which we run our businesses, fly our airplanes, drive our cars. So, um, but right now, so The Economist, one of my really favorite magazines, came up with this great report. Uh, and let's do a report cord on cli climate change based on the previous COP conferences. So if you want to put up their little grade system, you'll see that the chart, you see it isn't really doing that well. Um, they've been doing this now 20 times, and the report is there's been some progress, but you got to get do better. And it's sort of like, you know, a report card that I would like to have brought home to my parents where they're really good at making commitments, B+, plus, but renewables, some, pro pro you know, some progress, investment is getting a D, Adaption getting a D, finance is incomplete, and keeping to the commitments is a D minus. So in other words, they're failing pretty miserably across the board. So it's all talk and no action is what finally I read out of that report card. Thank you, The Economist. So the, the problem is that the issue is that when we had that Paris Accords, Climate Accords in Paris, sounded great, but there was no legal binding agreement. It was like everybody signed a paper. Oh, yeah, yeah we'll, do it, we'll do it. But there's actually no enforcement. There's no teeth. So it sounds good, but you don't have to actually change your ways. So um, as one, one description was, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, which took place in Paris 2015, was impotent. That's a good way to put it. It could not tell the countries what to do. It could not end the fossil, fossil fuel by age by fiat. It could not draw back the seas, placate the winds, or dim the noonday sun. Just sounded nice. But the problem is that the countries that are now meeting, again, are not meeting their targets. And the United Nations has provided new updates that say if we don't meet our targets, our we're the, you know, war, warming will continue. Um, and the Climate Accord was signed by 200 countries, but they're not really following through. 
The current rate of progress the UN projects is that the Earth's average temperature will rise nearly double by 2030, the goal. Um, even if every country slashed their emissions 42%, the UN said there's still no guarantee that we'll stop global warming. Well, the, really, the reality is that we did not cut, but actually emissions increased in the last few years. And all of these actions have not stopped global warming, which sort of getting back to the other point of why are we doing this? Where is the rationale and the science behind this notion that if our Earth heats up or planet heats up 1.5 degrees Celsius, we're all going to die? First of all, that science that I have debunked in previous episodes is wrong. It's based on faulty data. There's no actual scientific concern. But then again, what little? Let, why would we let science facts get in the way of politics, right? We never do. So that is also that there's no credible pathway for the 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. Maybe because deep down people know that it doesn't really matter. So we can talk a good game and throw a lot of money out there, but it's not going to really matter in the long run. But we're still going to try and do it, right? But there's no credible pathway to reach it, according to the UN. Um, under current policies, the world is headed towards a 2.8 degrees of global heating by the end of the century, the UN Secretary General said. In other words, we are headed for global catastrophe. Or we're just headed for another warming period, which in our planet's history comes and goes. So depending on if you take the view of climato true climatologists or you take the view of politicians, the catastrophe may or may not be as important as we think it is. But that doesn't stop anyone from meeting and talking about it and spending a lot of money and wringing of hands and concern about these things. So Paris provided a context for the boom in renewable energy, but they didn't provide the investment. Great analysis here by The Economist. Uh, the doubling of investment letter levels has um, actually seemed to act, they want to actually triple the amount of investment, but it just has happened. And to attract funds, company countries must completely redesign their markets. I don't know how you can do that. You can put up the next chart and say exactly what is required is in order to change how we generate electricity, we're going to have to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and our this compared our greenhouse gas emissions and the growth of our economy. But if you look, even, you know, the pandemic is 2020. Yeah, we didn't have as many greenhouse gas emissions because people weren't on the road driving. But if you look after pandemic, post pandemic, the greenhouse gas emissions are going up and they're keeping pace with the growth of the economics, economies in our country, in our world. So what does that tell you is that if you want to have a robust economy, you're going to have greenhouse gas emissions. I hate to say it, but it's, you know, analysis done by a think tank. This is not just me talking. This is, you know, but the problem is not enough people like me are mentioning this irony and this, in, in this sort of, I would say, silliness about the need to, why do we need to cut fossil fuel usage when it's going to cost a lot of money? Thanks for the chart. When it's going to cost a lot of money and not necessarily lead to any positive outcomes, um, so they said that the greenhouse gas emissions increased every consecutive year since 2022, and it's continuing. So despite all the talk, despite all the money being thrown at in the Inflation Reduction Act, despite all of the money being thrown at by renewable technologies, and I'm a big fan of solar and wood and renewable, we need them all. We also need nuclear. We also need hydro. 
But the point is, none of this stuff is really going to make a difference because the planet is going to continue to warm, not just because of our actions. In fact, humanity has a very small role, but there are you know, volcanoes that happen, like one emerging in, in Iceland in a few weeks. A lot of progress has been made from cheaper, widespread renewable energy, but they don't have the installed capacity, the ability to actually use it, like I've talked before, but the inability to, the wind blows at night, on the Colorado Plains, but we don't have enough battery storage to capture it, so it goes to waste. So even though we have increased investments in renewable energy and solar and wind, not only are there some environmental side effects, but there's also the fact that it's never enough. It's never going to be fully able to replace what we need on a regular basis. Um, electric power is responsible for 28% of the emissions. Gas is only you know, his use has increased by 2%, even as increased use of renewable energy. So even though we're building more renewable energy projects into our grid, it's still not enough to meet the demand we have for energy. And it's never going to be enough because we keep using energy in more and wonderful ways. AI, lots of energy. There's, so the point is that, yes, it's important to save the planet, but at what cost? Um, I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host on the Bull Brave TV network. You're watching the KJ Show, and I'll be right back. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick. Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to EasySense.com and learn how, with your help, we can fight these horrific brain disorders. That's EasySense.com to learn more and help support the Broderick Foundation. Author, radio show host, and coach, John M. Hawkins, reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth, published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. And welcome back to the KJ Show. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host on the Bull Brave TV Network. Today I'm talking about Climate Cop 28, or is it just a Climate Cop Out? And I'd love to hear from you. Um, we can get some callers on the line. That'd be great. I know John's been posting some very interesting and insightful comments. So if he wants to dial in, please do. Others are welcome to dial in as well. Um, 
But until I get our callers, I wanted to point out something really interesting. Apparently, you know, I love animals. In fact, I think I might just do a whole newsletter article. I have Substack now. I might just do a whole, whole Substack edition on animals and their contributions to the environment. Oh, John is calling in. All right. So I'll save the reindeer story for after us. Hi, John. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, Dr. KJ. Hey, my question is, I'm wondering if the COP28 conference is having any discussion on nuclear as a solution to all the problems. Uh, any update on that? That's not on the agenda, as far as I can understand. The agenda, which you think would be interesting, right? Wouldn't you think that'd be the one of the best things to talk about? No, they're really worrying about, basically, they still are in the mindset of, wanting to reduce the reliance on fossil fuels, reduce methane, and how are they going to get the climate finance agreed to? Because last year at the one in Egypt, they basically promised to give the underdeveloped nations money, uh, constitutional reparation, I mean, climate reparations of some sort. Or they promised money, but it hasn't quite shown up yet. So there's been a lot of debate about where's the money coming from, but they have no discussions whatsoever about other types of technologies that I'm aware of, especially nuclear, because, well, that would actually solve the problem, wouldn't it? And then they wouldn't have a chance to meet every yeah. year. The, that's the dangerous yeah. part. Yeah. They don't want to solve the problem. You know, yeah. they could solve the problem think, if they want I think to. that's uh, that's hugely ironic, like everything else you just talked about. No, thanks. Good talking. All righty. So, um, as I said, I absolutely am an animal lover, and I swear my Substack newsletter, probably towards the end of the year, um, will actually face a feature roundup of all the ways that animals are saving the planet. You know, kind of shows that we don't need to do much. Animals can do it just fine. So I found another really great article about reindeer or caribou. Basically, the way they forage is actually changing the, you know, the Earth's surface so it reflects rather than absorbs the heat basically creating a sunscreen for the planet. Now, why don't we worry about things like that? So the Sammy herders up in Scandinavia and all the caribou out in Alaska, the reindeer, scientists say, may alter the Arctic landscapes in a profound and climate-helpful ways. Uh, their foraging habits change the tundra I love animals, but my animals are not supposed to be talking back to me. Barley hops, Bonnie, shh. Those are my dogs. You've heard them before. Um, apparently, there's some marauder, uh, probably the mailman. Uh, their foraging habits for reindeer actually creates, uh, changes the tundra surface so it reflects rather than absorbs the sunlight. In other words, the reindeer um, apply sunscreen, and they have a potential cooling effect on the climate. Um, researchers at the Swedish Institute up in the Yuma University in the Journal of Environmental Research said herbivore management could be a potential tool to mitigate future warming. Now, I'm all about this. I'm all about letting nature fix what we do wrong because nature itself is an ultimate healer, right? We had those huge fires in Australia a few years ago. I happened to be in Australia during those huge fires. They killed thousands and thousands, hundreds, millions of animals. And guess what? didn't cause a lot of global warming because the ocean absorbed about 95% of that smoke and evil emissions. The, the oceans fixed it. The earth healed itself. The wildfires caused damage and the earth fixed it. Earth is a remarkable 
plant. And it does, sometimes I think we just make worse by our meddling. But a reindeer can save the Arctic and thus create a, sun shield, a sunscreen for the planet, which actually, to me, is one of the nicest, one of the best stories I've heard in a long time. Uh, apparently, their study in Norway, also Sammy herders managed to, um, basically, they herd them. And they say when reindeer grazed on shrubs and grasses, the grasses became thin and light colored and absorbed far less energy than the dark ones. So by grazing, they're actually creating another uh, way for it to deflect the sunlight. And actually, they reduce the local heating by the amount equivalent of doubling the Earth's carbon emissions level, carbon dioxide level. So maybe that's why these folk gathering in Dubai aren't that all concerned. Because they know at the end of the day, the planet is going to fix itself, right? And the caribou are going to do their job. And as I said last week, apparently plants have feelings. And plants can communicate with each other and talk about, you know, when we need to, you know, not be, not, not emit, you know, when we need to emit uh, toxins to, to deter the deer from eating us. So in order to apply the ecosystem service, reindeer and caribou need to have good conditions and they can then save us. Wow. Who knew, right? The caribou to the rescue. So I've got to do a whole article on, on animals, beavers, caribou, fish. There's all kinds of wonderful stories about how the animal kingdom is actually doing a much better job of protecting us and saving us from ourselves than we are. Um, and I think that's an interesting observation. Another thing, speaking of um, Arctic tundra, Canada has actually launched its first ever climate adaption strategy. We'll see how Canada does. Canada wants to basically aim reducing the risk from extreme weather events like floods and wildfires and mitigating uh, impacts of fossil fuel caused global warming. Um, and the strategy comes as Canada tackles the worst wildfire season in its years. We have also had really bad wildfires in California, too. By 2030, the average losses from disasters are about to reach about 11.7 billion U.S., which is a lot. And the, so the Climate Institute wants to slow down, um, which they think will slow down Canada's economic growth. So what they want to do is, in Canada, they want to figure out a way to mitigate these issues. They want to improve the health outcomes. They want to do improve, build more approved nature and biodiversity. And they want to include flood management. Um, they think the climate think tanks have welcomed this strategy, but they think it's going to take a lot of money. So Canada's thinking, like maybe I am, that we do need to do more to protect the planet in manageable ways. Yeah, we should definitely think ways to reduce wildfires and reduce flooding. And maybe that's a better investment of our hundreds of trillions of dollars than on technologies that really aren't ready for prime time. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host. You're watching the Bold Brave TV Network. I'm, you're on the KJ Show, and I'll be right back. Did you know that your beliefs create your entire reality? But it's the subconscious beliefs that do most of the creating. Belief Shifter and Life Coach Shiraz can help you identify those limiting beliefs and eliminate them, often in a single session. Like it was almost instant, like I had relief right away. Creating better health, relationships, careers, and finances. Let Shiraz help you step out of safety and into awareness. Definitely something's happening. Uh, it's like a, a flow inside. You know, it feels good. Whether in person or online, Shiraz provides personal coaching, belief shifting. Visit Shiraz at energeticmagic.com or call 416-529-7429. 
Energetic Magic on the BBM Global Network, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Find your greater happiness. Be well. Be aware. Be magical. Are you struggling to care for elderly parents or a spouse? Do you wonder if being a caregiver is making you sick? Are you worried about taking time off work to care for elderly parents and balance work, life, and caregiving? Has caregiving become exhausting and emotionally draining? Are you an aging adult who wants to remain independent, but you're not sure how? I'm Pamela D. Wilson. Join me for the Caring Generation radio show for caregivers and aging adults, Wednesday evenings, 6 Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and 9 Eastern, where I answer these questions and share tips for managing stress, family relationship, health, well-being, and more. Podcasts and transcripts of The Caring Generation are on my website, PamelaDWilson.com, plus my caregiving library, online caregiver support programs, and programs for corporations interested in supporting working caregivers. Help, hope, and support for caregivers is here on The Caring Generation and PamelaDWilson.com. And welcome back to the KJ Show. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host on the Bold Brave TV Network. And today I've been talking about is climate change, is it CLP28 or is it climate change cop-out? And I think it really is a cop-out because as much as we want to think that our leaders are going to solve our problems, I don't think these problems can be solved. And let's just, uh, you know, think of other solutions. And in that vein, I had come up with some more setbacks for uh, renewable energy uh, technologies. In fact, it seemed like um, maybe somebody got a hold of my show prep because I was going to talk about this today and I heard on one of the news channels this exact question that the electric car, car you know, car business is really faltering. And they say another wheel will come off the electric car vehicle promotion. Um, electric vehicles may reduce climate, char uh, climate emissions, um, but actually manufacturing them creates more carbon emissions. As I talked about the hor horrific conditions of how you actually mine for lithium, who we use child trafficking in, in, in Africa and Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps in China to deliver the lithium for these batteries. They also might not have noticed that there's also nitrous oxide coming out of their pipes, but they said that really the problem is is not only do it cost a lot to make those lithium batteries, both in, I think, human costs and capital costs, but also the emissions from the tires that electric vehicles mean make also much more than a standard car. Long-term exposure is a risk of heart disease, and a fair amount of these emissions can emanate from not the engines, but the tires, because the heavier weight of the tires cause greater tire wear. So not only do you have a heavy car, that costs that takes a lot of precious metals and rare earth minerals, but we also in the tires generate a lot of emissions both by both the production and their use. So the tires are also causing problems on electric cars. And I just heard today that electric car vehicles are not selling. So then the regulations for Euro four in Europe, the pet, the regulations against the diesel and internal engine cars are basically being built on. Um, exhaust emissions, but they neglected to calculate the emissions from the electric vehicle cars, which makes the other manufacturers sort of annoyed. And they said that they turned, you know, they're, they're, even though everybody's been enthusiastically supporting green uh, electric cars, they're actually not as green as we think. 
and the consumption of the heavy metals and making their batteries and the pollution from their tires really causes a lot more environmental damage than, say, a standard production of a car. Um, and now, this is really interesting, Toyota is admitting that electric vehicles are a really long way away, and maybe we need a hybrid. Plug-in hybrid might be the better option, and actually, I think that makes a lot more sense. So Toyota is deciding to step back from manufacturing only electric vehicles because they're not selling, but now they're going to manufacture hybrids, which actually are selling. And the chief scientist said that for now, hybrid electric gas engines are better fit than BVs for most consumers. Oh my goodness, we're going to give customers what they want. They Pratt cited the lack of available materials to produce enough batteries and build enough charging stations to infrastructure to meet demand as the government continues to push for this. And eventually resource limitations will end, but for many years, there will not be enough to really support this push towards electric vehicles. And electric vehicle manufacturers, uh, car dealers are actually saying these cars aren't selling. Um, the uh, new car buyers can't afford an electric vehicle. Even if they get up to $20,000 in rebates and tax incentives, they still can't afford it. And then they don't know where they're going to charge it. And if they live in an apartment building, they can't charge it there. And if they they can't afford to put in a charging station in their house. So it just becomes, you know, my mental problem. Again, it becomes a problem for the one percenters who are only doing this because, well, they have a real car for commuting and then they have their EV car to make them feel good. Um, the revolution has begun, but it's actually stalling, according to another article. Volkswagen is concerned about flagging sales and has started to halt production of electric vehicles at one of the six biggest plants in Germany. And many of its models will no longer be made, and staff is going to be laid off, up to 1,500 of them. Um, mass production of uh, other vehicles are going, are basically stopping. And here's an interesting chart I want to put up. This shows that the actual investment, you know, everybody knows the minute you drive your car off the car lot, it's going to lose value. I don't think anybody expects their car when they drive off a lot to lose 50% of its value, which is what happens to electric vehicles. Look at the Tesla 3. Pay 40,000 pounds, you can, your value is 25,000 pounds, that's a decrease of 38%. 3% for the Hyundai Iconic, which is actually a cheaper car. So even cheap cars, electric vehicles, lose their value significantly, and they can't, and the resale is, you know, you paid 32 for it, if you sell it, you might get, you might be able to get 11,000 pounds. That's not a real good trading value. And that's the point that happens to have, we have to understand in the supply chain for cars, the used car market, if there's not really a market for used electric vehicles, it's going to make it even harder to convince people to buy them because we can't afford the new ones. They can't afford them to sell the old ones or the used ones aren't going to have a value in the market either. Um, thanks for the chart. So the, the real fundamental problem is that unlike other markets in the car markets, I know I have friends who used to be in the car business and know much more about this than I do, but basically, you know, if you can't afford to buy a new car, you buy it a used car. But a used car doesn't have any value if it's an electric vehicle. And you still can't charge it. And you still know where you're going to charge it. And you have range anxiety. So there's not a, after a secondary market yet established for electric vehicles. Something that they seem to forget, again, is push towards having everybody convert to electric vehicles. The other problem it has is Ford is also deciding to uh, shift. They wanted to shift away. Remember, they were going to do, a, oh, they're going to get away from the internal combustion engine. 
um, market and only make electric vehicles. Well, they decided that wasn't such a great idea and that their electric vehicle production is unable to support anything, um, the same numbers, they don't have the same sales. So, you know, the auto workers went on strike. They weren't just striking because they wanted more money. They were also striking because these electric vehicles are going to take away their jobs, but the company is losing money on that. So why on earth are they going to be making a product that no one can buy? Um, another generation of electric manufacturers, Lordstown uh, Motors, a U.S. truck specialist, said that actually electric vehicles and electric tr trucks don't have much of a future. And Elon Musk had actually been forced to cut the price of Teslas, despite all the ways they've had to prop up demand through various environmental and energy subsidies like the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, so the problem is the U.S., I love this quote, Risks becoming the unfortunate guinea pig in a costly and dangerous experiment that persuades the rest of the world to push their deadline out even further, turning this company into an example of how not to become a nation of electric car owners. It's a cautionary tale. I hope somebody's listening. Um, I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host on the Bull Brave TV Network. You're watching The KJ Show, and I'll be right back. What if there were a super tiny vice that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick. Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to EasySense.com and learn how, with your help, we can fight these horrific brain disorders. That's EasySense.com to learn more and help support the Broderick Foundation. Author, radio show host, and coach John M. Hawkins reveals strategies to help gain perspective, build confidence, find clarity, achieve goals. John M. Hawkins' new book, Coach to Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth, published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them. We discover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. And welcome back. I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host. You've been watching The KJ Show on the Bold Brave TV Network, and this last segment, I always like to wrap it up with something fun. So I didn't have a show a couple weeks ago because I was actually in sunny, it was actually sunny, California in LA. And I was at a grid conference. So I'll be sharing the takeaways from that conference on grid optimization on next week's show. But I got a chance to go to Renando Beach, which is something I'd never done before. I've been to Santa Monica Pier and I've been to way up in north in Northern California, San Francisco, many, many times and Monterey many, many times. But Renando Beach was sort of like a throwback to the 1950s beach town. 
uh, vibe, and I wanted to share a little bit of insights. You want to put, put up the picture of the pier. It was really interesting when I was walking there. There were actual fishermen actually fishing off the pier for their dinner, and they were selling live bait. And I did feel like I was in some sort of you know 1950s throwback with the people and their fishing poles and their picnicking. It was a Sunday, and people were just enjoying the California sunlight, sunshine. Why not? So this was an interesting. This is one of the oldest piers in California. I had no idea. It was built in 1888 um, to handle the lumber trade. And it was the Wharf One was the first of its piers, if it's harbors. And they have seven generation, it's a seven generation horseshoe shaped pier, 25 feet above water and 70,000 square feet. And it's a really interesting um, pier because they have, not only do they have the normal fishing, you know, restaurants, seafood restaurants, had a great ceviche, had a great views. You know, seagulls, all the things you expect in the California bee, uh, is pier. They also had like local stuff, like the fish cut, cut, fish was caught right there and then sold in the fish market and people take it home for their dinners. Oysters, um, clams, mussels. It was amazing. Um, it's also has like, a lot of shops, and but it wasn't the, the polished version of L.A. that you see. It was more like the original California, which I always enjoy. The pier is reminiscent of its um, hippodrome built in 1920s. I got that vibe for sure. And I really enjoyed um, visiting the, the sort of being a tourist and seeing all different things that, you know, Renato Beach offers. It's a little small town, but it's like every other L.A. town and it's something unique. And what I found out that was really interesting was that the person who introduced surfing in California did so right at this town. You know, surfing is sort of iconic, South, Southern California, Beach Boys, all those songs that I grew up listening to. Well, apparently the George Feith introduced surfing to Hon from California. He was born in Honolulu and reserved this. He, reserved, he revived this art, surfing, and brought it to Renando Beach in 1907. So we knew there was surfing in California. We all came from Hawaiians. I didn't know if all the way back to 1907. And it was basically had an eight-foot-long surfboard that he used to ride the waves on Renando Beach. He also performed daring stunts, too. So I thought that was fun to share some of the things that I do in my spare time when I'm not busy, when I'm not busy, uh, you know, working on, on shows for you. But I also am going to tell you that what I'm also going to be doing in the next couple shows, well, um, probably in the new year, I'll be talking about the hydrogen house that I visited as part of this trip out there. And it's a really interesting modular home that that SoCal Gas runs. Uh, it's a demonstration and it's a great little house and I'll be talking more with the people that are involved in that in the new show, in the teasing shows for the future. I also wanted to say that it is, you know, uh, Thanksgiving. I'm really grateful for all my friends and family and listeners and viewers, but, you know, holiday season is coming and if you want to really buy a great book for your family or your friends, you can always buy mine, Grit and Granite. Um, it's about a really great story based on my father and fighting and evil and basically outsmarting really smart corporate lawyers. And it's always fun in this day and age to realize that not every lawyer is bad and not every lawyer is corrupt. I just got re done reading a John Grisham novel. Now I'm very biased, but I think my story moves a little bit better. But that's just me. And of course, if, please sign up for my Substack articles, kcatherinejohnsonthesubstack.com. Uh, you can sign up. They're free. They're articles that dig in a little deeper on one of these mini topics I talk about every week. And I'd really love to hear from you, both calling in or sending me an email or whatever you'd like to do. Thank you so much for your support today. And I really appreciate you uh, chatting with me. 
And um, how much time do we have left? <laughs> A minute? Okay. 45 seconds. Okay. So the other thing I want to mention is, um, you know, there's, I do hope that we, in the, as we get into the Christmas season, we really can move towards peace in the world, peace on earth. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to have? So um, my heart and all my family's hearts and prayer, prayers go out for all those involved in these conflicts worldwide. And one of the things I do about this show that I care about so much is that energy really is important to our civilization. But it's really important that we think about the best way to use it and the best way to take care of each other. And yes, we use it in a smart way, but let's not use it in a way that bankrupts us or hurts our planet. Um, I'm Dr. Katherine Johnson, your host. You've been watching the Bold Brave TV Network, the KJ Show. And I'll be back next week with some more fun stuff. This has been the KJ Show. Tune in next week as Katherine shares her insights to current changes in the energy industry while drawing on her experience as an energy efficiency consultant for the past 30 years. Right here on the KJ Show.